Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to the idea that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Every episode, hosts David Bowden and Seth Stewart work through a biblical text to see how it helps us see and savor Jesus. Let's jump in. All right, well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is uh, our last episode on Ecclesiastes. And our last episode remotely. Yes, I was about to say, this is is our last episode for Seth and I to do over the internet because he is moving from Kansas City to Oklahoma City to join us full-time at Spoken Gospel. It's such an exciting, exciting month. very exciting, very stressful. Without first going to Florida, though. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he's gonna he's gonna go on a little vacay, um, and uh, so yeah, this is this although is la- Florida is like now a hot spot for COVID, yeah. And good I luck feel, with that. I feel very, I feel legitimately a little, a little worried for myself. Yeah, and my like sense of being a good citizen. Like, are you are you driving? <laughs> we're flying. Oh goodness! <laughs> so it's like everything. I'm like, I don't know if this is this is not safe. This yeah, is not we, the safest thing I could. We do. were supposed to go to Florida at the beginning of August. To here, here in two weeks yeah to disney here or here in like a month i guess yeah to disney and uh yeah no Dis- we canceled it disney is disney closed no they're 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 open and they're doing like a lot of good things about like you know keeping things clean but it's just too risky it's so risky. we just we just canceled so anyway well um thrill seeking seth just going on covid planes it's true you know <laughs> just... speaking of speaking of the decisions that you're, you're making versus decisions <laughs> I'm making. Let's talk about the fool and the wise one. Ah, uh, yes. We always, we always find a Perfect segue. <laughs> um, uh, no, so, so let, me, let, me, let me tee up real quick. So we are uh, wrapping up chapter 9 um, of Ecclesiastes and going through the end of the book to, through chapter 12. And um, I think we teed this up a little bit last week. But basically, uh, there aren't a lot of strong connective tissues between um the different yeah. sections in this uh these these chapters um and so it's really hard to build a narrative out of yeah. these kind of disconnected uh sections so we are going to make some observations about um different sections uh, a lot of these are proverbs here at the end uh but before we did that we thought it would be helpful to walk through kind of different ways over these last several episodes that we've learned to digest Ecclesiastes. Um, I think for me, uh, I've just, I've learned a lot about how to read Ecclesiastes as we've read Ecclesiastes together. Yes. And so it's it's interesting. I think like, I think present day David would go back and rebuke past David (laughs) on his interpretations um, or it's, points, but not, I mean, but then again, not really. And I think that's not, the point of Ecclesiastes. It's I, just, I think, it's you, so I think I agree with you. I, it's funny. I've l- been listening back to the podcast and I found us like contradicting, not each other, but like our past selves a couple different yeah. times, like throughout the, throughout the thing. But I think also think you're right. It, the book of Ecclesiastes invites us to interrogate both sides of the wisdom equation. Like if I put in output X, will I get output Y? But when I don't get output Y, will I get output X? And then that doesn't just apply to random proverbs like the Lord will make his path straight if Mm. he 
is wise. It also applies to the method by which we're trying to ascertain wisdom and gain <laughs> wisdom because wisdom itself doesn't function according to formulas. Right. Like, anyway. So the question is, how should we be reading? How have we read the book of Ecclesiastes? Mm-hmm. So we've read it a couple different ways. One, we've read it thematically. So we've tried to pull themes that are frequent throughout. So like the idea of a um, an experiment or yes. experimenter trying to show us that life is hevel and our the baseline for our life must come from above the sun. Mm-hmm. We've uh, even in this section, there's a really strong theme of like not knowing what's going to happen in the future. So yes, over and theme. over and over again, like we don't know what's going to happen in the future. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. So act wisely as if you don't know what's going to happen in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can read it thematically, which I think is helpful. Yes. Um, and that's the way I've written the de- devotionals, the, the YouTube devotionals for mm. um, Ecclesiastes thematically. You could also read it as fatherly wisdom to a son. So we have references to that scene, like directive statements, like you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. And at the very end, we have a father speaking to a son or calling mm-hmm. his audience a son. So you can think about it that way as fatherly wisdom to a son. You could think about the collected Proverbs as... Um, kingly wisdom uh either from a king from a king to a prince um which is really helpful because there's a lot of psalms about a lot of proverbs about kingship mm-hmm. or you could think about it as a king to his citizens in a proper way to oh, live it. right proper yeah. way to live and, and like that makes sense because jesus paul um proverb uh, uh david and Sol- Solomon in the book of Proverbs will refer to Israel as sons or right. like as like brothers or sisters, like familial language is also a way to like refer to everybody. Yes. Israel uh, is often called the, like the son of God. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly right. You could also read it as like messianic wisdom in a fallen world. If like one of the ways that Ecclesiastes functions differently, the book of Proverbs is that it's kind of giving full flower to life under the curse. It's like full flower to all of our unmet expectations, full ex- descriptions of yeah. the way that the crooked lines that we try to draw the world with, but we hold on to like frustratingly. It's messianic wisdom on how to draw a straight line with a crooked stick or how to make <laughs> your crooked stick straight again so that you can live in harmony with the will of God and his judgments. You could yeah. also read it as like we- world-weary concessions in a cursed mm-hmm. world. It's like this is the best we can do. Um, and then this one, David and I both admit, this is not something that we're experts in, but have been really benefited by is the Bible Project's um, couple of videos and podcasts about the Bible as Jewish meditation literature. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to encourage you, just go and listen to some of their content on that because yep. it's been really profound. They said, like, the Bible is often meant for you to read more than once and yes. to think about a phrase and just keep thinking about it. Yep. And, and then as through. you read yeah and as you read through it to then go back and allow what you've read to inform what you read again which is is just a biblical interpretation practice called her, a hermeneutical cycle yes or the her, hermeneutical spiral is what that's called yeah like where you're allow, allowing yeah allow what you read in the future to go or you know what you've read in the past to inform what you read in the future yes or, yeah so and it's the, i mean they're brilliant at it and yeah. i think we've like we even met mentioned here like the more we read of ecclesiastes the more it chastens our previous versions of ourselves yes. and the more we just think about the the wise and poor man the more it means to us so yeah. like one another way to just I, we would encourage you to read it is listen to their their videos and then just spend time in one passage 
and then read the next three passages and then read that one again and then read the next two chapters yes. and read that one again. Well, it's see. like just thinking about um, uh, the the crooked and straight path that we spent a lot of time talking about um, last week on last week's episode. I was like, how did we not talk about Proverbs 3? Like, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Uh, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. <laughs> how, did we not talk, how did we not talk about the broad way versus the narrow way? Like, how did... And it's just like, we, oh, man. <laughs> meditative literature. It's meditative so, literature. The more I meditated through, on it. As you go through this last section of seemingly disconnected Proverbs, um, and probably intentionally disconnected Proverbs, I think mm-hmm. most certainly disconnected Proverbs, mm-hmm. uh, intentionally disconnected Proverbs, yes. treat it in all those different ways, and you should get a lot of benefit from it. Yes. Uh, take it slowly, meditate on it, consider all the different perspectives, and see Jesus, which there is what go. we're going to try to do. We're going to try to do that too. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I just, I'll throw one out right at, right off the bat. Do it. You're, you ready for this? I'm ready for it. Okay. So, um, let's see. Uh, wait, where is, I should have written a verse reference. <laughs> you're, let's you're see. Failing us. I'm not failing. I Don't. can start, I can start us if that makes but, but, better but, sense. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So it's actually the very first little thing. So in the very first verse in nine eleven, it says under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Mm-hmm. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time and it suddenly falls upon them. Mm. So I read that and it's another example of how Hevel works. There's no formula for life. The people that shouldn't get ahead, get ahead. And the people that should get ahead, don't. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. But what was, But that's the context for like the opposite. And I love this little par- proverb. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. So this is the one Solomon loves too, uh, or the Kohelet loves. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered his name. Mm. But I say that wisdom is better than might the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard the wa- words of the wise he <laughs> the words of the wise heard in quiet are betting better than the shouting of rulers among fools wisdom is better than weapons of war yeah. i love i, I love, love that too i, I also love that we got a little parable i do i loved it too and i couldn't help but think about jesus the yes. entire time i was reading it right. you have faithful israel who's always described as one of the smallest people groups ever and even within israel faithful israel is an even smaller tiny city within that mm. but in and into this tiny city that's constantly being besieged by babylon mm-hmm. assyria the kings of the north the kings of the south rome oh, yeah. mm-hmm. god sends into tiny israel a poor wise man yes jesus yes who not by armies and he says, if my if if I would ha- ruled a kingdom, Pilate, mm-hmm. I would my soldiers would be out there fighting, but they're not, not by sending ten thousand legions of angels like he told us he could, but by death saves the city of Israel by the wis- by the wisdom of the cross by the wisdom says. of the cross by wisdom how by wisdom it's yeah, so his, good his wisdom is greater than a weapon of war the cross was a weapon of war right and. The, that's exactly right. The cross was a weapon, was better than a weapon of war. And then it goes back and makes me think, 
Oh, wow. Praise the Lord that the race is not to the swift. Praise the Lord the battle doesn't belong to the strong. I don't... Like, I... Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Because... Because yeah. I'm normally not the fastest. Right. And I'm the, normally the, the not race, the strongest. <laughs> the race should have gone to Caesar and Herod yes. and Pilate. They were the swiftest and, and strongest. Yeah, and Pharaoh. Like, the race should go to them, but it doesn't always. And that's because into God can work inside the hevel of life in order to subvert the strong with wisdom. And he can do that by being poor and going to death. And the world thinks that's folly, but it's his greatest wisdom. And it's and, our greatest hope because oh, we are so cool. poor and not the wisest and yeah. not the strongest. But if we trust in the wise one, we become wiser than great armies. Yes. And we overpower, like we overpower them by the wisdom of the cross and we're saved. Yeah. It's cool. I Yeah, I was excited about that too, about that connection. I was really impressed by that story though, um, like in its context here with just like, with, like, because it's it's chastened a little bit. It's not a, it's not an all out wisdom is the number one best thing parable, right? right? It's chastened, so it's like you you know this this big king comes and is going to take over the city with all these great siege works. There's one poor man in the city, and he you know beats the king with his wisdom, mm -hmm. and so it's like wisdom is better than strength, right? And I yep. thought of like rock paper scissors, and I was like wisdom beats strength like rock beats <laughs> yeah, scissors, yeah. you know, yeah. like it's better, but then. One like sinner. later on, his wisdom is his wisdom is forgotten, and no one heeds his warnings. Mm -hmm. So whatever he did and instructed people to do to save the city, people stopped following it after he was gone. Yeah. And so it's like wisdom faded away, and you know it's it's just interesting. It's like well, and even at the end, like but one sinner destroys much good. Yes, so like wisdom is better than weapons of war, but a little a little leaven. Yep. raises the whole lump right. one bad apple spoils the whole barrel and right. like what does jesus t say about the pharisees the pharisees sp spread rumors and he says beware of the leaven of the pharisees yep. he's right. using uh and he says the same thing in the next one dead flies make the perfumes for perfumers ointment give off a stench mm -hmm. so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor right he like jesus pull I, mean, I don't know he's not quoting this exactly he's pulling he's on the wisdom. using yeah. wisdom to say my wisdom will overtake the Roman Empire, but yeah. there's a leaven, there's a rotten apple, there's a fly in the ointment that's called yeah. the Pharisees, and they yeah. are going to subvert it if you right. listen to it. Which is just interesting to think about, like even in this great parable of the strength of a one wise man, we realize that no one on earth is wise enough to ultimately provide the salvation and hope from the onsetting siege of sin and death that we needed. Mm, yeah. Like, because we have a little bit of sin in us, and so it spoils the whole batch. Yeah. And we needed someone who was perfect to do this wisdom um, and to be this poor person for us. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. How it is, like, in the same way that the, one, yeah. one, the same way that one fool can overturn a wise man, a little bit of sin overturns the, like, our salvation like it's like there's like this yeah I don't, oh i see I what you're saying kind of like forever. what paul what paul said where it's like you know if you break one part of the law you're guilty of all of it mm -hmm. a little bit of sin you know just completely ruins right everything it's like, like that classic yeah. youth pastor it's like, if you put a little bit of poop in the cake oh would yeah you would still you want the cake <laughs> <laughs> no. no no i would not that's the way god views your sin man oh but, 
dang it, youth yeah. pastor, you got me again. You got me again. Classic <laughs> youth pastor. Just don't pass that rose around. Oh, gosh. That's the worst. We, have we ever talked about that on the podcast, the rose? I think we have, actually. Well, but anyway, not, let's, let's, do it again. not right now. <laughs> not right now. <laughs> okay, next. Uh, oh, no, I remember the one I was going to start with. Okay. It was that um, uh, verse 12 in chapter 9. A fish uh, is caught in a cruel net and birds are taken by a snare. So people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly on them. Um, uh, th- I mean, that's Jesus. Like, Except he oh. he knew that his hour was coming. These evil times fell upon him. But he was like, "My, it's not yet. I know when it is. My hour is not yet come. My hour is not yet come. The time is not yet. But then he said, behold, my hour has come. And he walks out to meet the evil that was going to befall him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm. And it's like, it's just interesting that like, it's just once again showing that Jesus knows the times. And Jesus did not yeah. fall into a trap at Gethsemane like a fish or a bird. He yeah. set it up himself and like create in, in his wisdom created a trap for sin and death i just thought that was interesting it is interesting and like another way to read this passage is like so jesus was the swift one who did not run the race win the race he was a oh, strong yes. one who did not win the battle he was the wise one who was not given bread he was the intelligent one who was not rewarded with riches he mm-hmm. was trapped by even though he was god he was trapped by roman guards yeah, like, in the, yeah. In the, and in the cruel net of death yes yeah crazy but in the cruel net of death there was wisdom and was. the poor man takes over the city oh <laughs> my god it's so good <laughs> all right let's take a break and we'll hop back in with more little observations <laughs> Okay, David, give us okay, more Seth. bits of your meditation on the random bits of Proverbs that we get throughout okay. the end of Ecclesiastes. Well, thanks for that setup there, Seth. You're welcome. There, David. <laughs> uh, 10, 7, or 10, 5 to 7, I really like. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves um this is just talking about uh, there, there's a great evil and it's when people are put in the wrong positions for them that you have um inept leaders or unskilled bosses or ill-informed preachers you know mm-hmm. like like you have people who shouldn't be in high positions in high positions and you have people who are very well qualified for high positions in low, low, low positions. Hmm. And it's just like people are unsuited for the place that they, in, for their place in the world. And that's hmm. a great evil. And it's like, I think everyone has that experience where they're like, God, right. my boss is so stupid. Right. And it's, yeah, yeah. And it's like, I don't know. Ecclesiastes might agree with you. Maybe yeah. he is. Maybe he is. Um, you know, or it's like if you're frustrated with your, you know, political leaders, it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, we, it's a great evil that you yeah. have someone who has the, um, the so bearing of a slave. In the place mm. of a prince, and I always got tripped up by just the slave language. I was like, "Is are he saying it's wrong for a slave to have a little bit of power? Like, what's it like?" Oh, uh, yeah. No, he's just using extremes, uh, you know, in order to talk about an, a, a, a people yeah. in wrong positions. And I just think it's amazing that that Jesus, being in the highest position of all, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, uh, Mighty God, that He became a slave and a servant to us, mm. and he, like, like enters into the foolishness. That's right. And he, yeah, he was put into the wrong position 
uh, but he did so willfully um, in order then to do what sounds like to Kohelet is a great evil in order to take a slave and put us in the place of a prince mm. that, that not only did Jesus leave his place of power to come into a place of slavery, he came and bought slaves like us, us yeah, slaves yeah. to sin and made us uh, like inheritors with him, like co-rulers. And so it's like, it sounds like almost like if, if you told Kohelet the gospel, he'd be like, that sounds evil. <laughs> that sounds evil. <laughs> well, I mean, I've heard uh, secular people make that same statement about Christianity. The mm. idea that somebody else can pay for my sins, oh, vicarious right. atonement. Like, right. it's, that's an injustice. If just anybody can pay for somebody else's murder, rape, mm-hmm. genocide. That's not true justice. If that, if one of the leaders of the Rwandan genocide doesn't die for his crimes, but mm-hmm. I can instead, that's a great injustice because right. a murderer walks free while an innocent man dies. How is that justice? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And I've I've now just lost myself in the hevel of that. <laughs> oh, that's amazing! I was, just, I was like, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I was just, I'm I'm just meditating with yeah. you on this. Yeah. Well, why I mean, is it though that like that that becomes good news? Oh, and yeah. why is it that that foolishness also becomes wisdom mm-hmm. when a Kohelet seems to cl- clearly lay out like that's folly? Yeah. Well, I mean, a couple of things. So one, especially when it comes to vicarious atonement, um, you, we have to remember that uh, there is the, there's the legal right of the offended party to press charges or not, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and you have these beautiful stories of, um, you know, m- murder victims and the, their and their families coming into the courtroom to uh, face their husband's murderer, and you have these, you have like the wife coming in and forgiving that person, yeah, you know, and being like, Hey, I forgive you. Or like, you know, whenever you had like these church shootings, you'd have the congregation show up and start ministering to the shooter. Like, Mm. and it's like the offended party is the one who has the right to absolve. Right. 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 right, And to forgive. Um, but there's still justice left undone, right? Forgiveness doesn't make things better right it doesn't like bring doesn't. people back and yeah. it doesn't and it doesn't ex- it doesn't it doesn't like right the scales either and so in the cross what we see is we see Jesus um you know the, who is the offended party uh you know the psalms say against you and you alone have i sinned mm-hmm. and so we've sinned against god alone and so he comes to us as the offended party and says i'm not pressing charges but mm-hmm. then his own character demands justice and so, and he, so comes himself. he comes himself as the offended party to bear the justice. I think it's mm-hmm. Tim Keller who talks about how uh, forgiveness always costs something, you know, yeah. like, it, you know, you have to, okay, I guess I'll just swallow that and bear it myself because I'm yeah. just going to let them go. And, but you know, the, the cost of, of, um, of our, of our forgiveness was death. Uh, yeah. for, for Jesus on himself. Um, and so anyway, uh, I think, you know, you get that, you get that, the, I, I guess it's a theological question that comes up when you ask how right. the king could become a slave and a slave could become a king. It's yeah. vicarious atonement in a sense. Yeah. Um, and it does sound like Hevel to the world. Um, and I, I think we also have to remember that like while um, occasionally atonement is talked about in terms of a court case or our justice is, or God's justice is talked about in terms of a court case throughout the Bible. Um, 
you know, we don't have a perfect one for one for this, you know, like I think we, okay. we try yeah, to, we try yeah. to figure out like, well, this just doesn't make sense in court. And I'm right. like, it's not a court that is in the old Testament that was meant to set up these categories. It was mm. Leviticus. Like Leviticus was the system oh. that was made to set up our categories for atonement. Right. Anyway, we're getting, I'm getting way off track no, that's here. That's really interesting. But I have, like, it's like, yeah, I have it's a like lot of so, opinions about this. It's so far away from uh, Ecclesiastes 10, but it's fascinating. <laughs> it's like the courtroom analogy for what happens with God <laughs> when the wise one becomes a fool, like a fool and dies on the cross for somebody yes. else's sins. I've always heard that like, primarily as like legal, and then right. I translate legal to court courtroom uh-huh. and like i import with that a whole bunch of unhelpful concepts of western justice that are not indigenous or native to leviticus which is what it's actually referring to yes fascinating well you yes. should just pause that there and then yep. come back to that later that's super fascinating well, great. Um, <laughs> but i was also thinking in this more more to the point there's an evil that i've seen under the sun as it were an error proceeding from the ruler folly is set in many high places and the rich sit in the low place Jesus commends that action to rich people and to wise people. When you come Mm. to a table, take your seat at the lowest place. But the reason he does that is so that you will be properly placed by the leader of the feast, by the Mm. host of the party. So, no, no, go sit in the low place so that you might be brought high and sat in the proper place. Interesting. So I, yeah, I mean, right. so it's like now that I'm thinking about this, well, that actually makes a lot of sense. He's like, there's a folly in the world where people misunderstand their place, uh-huh. misunderstand their authority. They are given authority they shouldn't have. They are in positions of power beyond their competence, and therefore, their all their employees are suffering because of it. The wise thing to do is, if you know that you're outmatched by your context and your job, you should ask for a demotion. Mm. Like, like that's like. Yep. That would be yep. part of the wisdom that's coming from here. If you find yourself at a fancy cocktail party and everybody's going up to say hello to the new the the CEO in waiting, maybe you shouldn't. You don't need to do that unless and then have somebody else and bring you <laughs> invite in. Invite you over. Invite yep. you over and then you'd be honored not by just your I don't know, your networking yes. capabilities, right. but by the but the, uh, the, 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 the the liaison or the or the CEO's choice of you to bring right. you up, that's the exactly host's right. choice to bring you up. Yep, that's very interesting. So that's Jesus that, does so pull so on that now, thread. Now that I'm thinking about that, that's actually good wisdom. Um, and then yeah. Jesus like ratifies it in all mm-hmm. those um, uh, his parables with all his talks with the Pharisees. Anyway. Yep, that's very true. That's very true. Um, there's uh, eight to eleven kind of goes through like the irony of work chapter Mm -hmm. 10 verse 8 through 11 talks about how like if you are a pit digger you're going to fall into your own pit (laughs) you know if you are like someone who like is doing i guess like demolition or something and you break through a wall you're going to get bit by a snake that's hiding in there (laughs) yeah you know and it's like if you are a courier of stones one day you're going to get injured by stones the rock's and it's like fall on you. the rock's <laughs> yeah. going to fall on you and so it's like it's just this irony of work that uh, at the end of the day you'll be consumed by that which you are trying to um uh, like put things to consume on your table <laughs> like yeah. you'll be eaten by the thing that earns your bread well, well that's the, the curse right that's the yes. curse from um, that's right it's like th- you're going to work the land and the land yeah. is going to be hard to work on you're going to yep. try to bring forth fruit and it's going to bring gonna... forth thorns thorns and thistles you're going to try to break down a wall and a snake's going to bite you you're going to try to chop some wood and some wood's going to get in your eye like that's like (laughs) yes 
And then and I so, love yeah. the next one then. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, you're going to have to use more strength. But wisdom helps one succeed. So you could work harder. You could just toil the land harder. You with, could a just, blunt, with a blunt axe. With, yeah. Or you could sharpen the axe and not work harder but smarter. Yeah. I love that little piece. Of, I thought about that piece of advice all day. Like if you use a little bit of wisdom, you could undercut the curse just a little bit. Yeah. Like, right? Like, I think that's yeah, yeah, part definitely. of what it's getting at, right? I think it's like so. I think the curse so. brings forth thorns and thistles. It brings out yep. snakes out of rocks. Rocks so are work a little you. smarter. Work a little bit smarter, and you can undo a little bit of the curse. Yep. So then what's amazing is that Jesus works with full wisdom in the world. His work that he comes into the world is full of wisdom, and he doesn't just get rid of some of the curse for those who follow him. He gets rid of all of the curse. Like, he cuts it off at the root, and he does so through an ironic work. Right. So like, just as you know, he's like, if you quarry stones, a stone's going to fall on you. He went and did his work on the cross to death. And yet, ironically, he undid death. So Hmm. death did its work on Jesus. Right. It's like death comes and does its work on Jesus. And in, in trying to kill the author of life, death Hmm. kills itself. It's it's kind of the irony here. Like the accuser of the brethren. Like, so the, the, the accuser, Satan, whose mm-hmm. job is to accuse of all, of all the things he does of we that we do wrong. Yes. He does his job on Jesus. Mm-hmm. G- he goes to the quarry of Jesus and tries to accuse it to hell. Uh, yep, that's right. <laughs> and all the rocks fall on accusation. All the <laughs> rocks fall on the accuser. <laughs> the wood gets yep. stuck in his own eye. It's so uh, good. That's really, I love that. So like, what does that mean then for our work after Jesus? So yeah. like, Jesus undoes the work of accusation he do- undoes the work of death um and then we're he able frees to work us to work wisely we're yeah and we're well we're able to work unironically um finally that our what work, does it mean to work ironically <laughs> well to work ironically is that we spend is the whole point of the book of ecclesiastes that you spend your whole life building something that you lose like mm-hmm. that's the whole point is right, all right. work is ironic it's all hevel and smoke but like we've talked about a couple times the last few episodes is with Jesus, our work has a solid foundation now. It's it, mm-hmm. like because we can send the fruits of our labor ahead, uh, you know, in kind of like the treasures in heaven idea. Or even we know what is good work to be done. And so what we make here on earth can pass through the fires of refinement when the new heavens and new earth come. And so we can build things that have permanency now. Mm. We can build things that will last into eternity because we because we have the wisdom of Christ. We can build things with the grain of the universe so that they'll stay whenever Jesus returns. I don't so know if I, we've talked about the irony of the book of Ecclesiastes with as oh, much clarity no. as we just as you just said. Say, like, oh, the whole book of Ecclesiastes is ironic because yes. You do one thing, you you start working expecting one result, but you get its opposite. <laughs> yes. Like, oh, very that's ironic. the definition of irony. You're doing yes. one thing that implies its opposite. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, I think that's true. And now I'm just like stuck on irony. I'm just thinking of all the ways oh, no. that like... Uh, <laughs> we've, done, col- we've done a whole episode of, of, on, on irony with Esther. <laughs> with Esther. I was just now I'm like, oh my gosh, I have a whole new lens through which to see Ecclesiastes. Just <laughs> irony after irony after irony. And it's funny that like so much of like millennial humor is based around irony and like oh, people yes. like make fun of culture now for just being incessantly ironic um and it's like we try to undo the hevel of life 
by the irony of life by, by being, pointing out irony by pointing out how ironic it is and then pretending, which is ironic in itself and pretending we're okay with it <laughs> like right and so it's oh, like goodness. the wisdom of ecclesiastes would say like being ironic about irony doesn't work like being right. okay with the irony and pointing it out doesn't actually bring you peace from the irony no you need someone to enter into the irony fully and embody the irony mm. in order to escape it so i think we think we can escape the irony of life we can escape the the frustration of life the unmet expectations of life by just kind of laughing at it mm. oh see isn't that ironic <laughs> like i'm yep. so disconnected i'm a, I'm a disaffected millennial look at that right. hilarious but like millennials have some of the highest cases of depression anxiety yep. We're one of the most medicated generations. Like irony, as a solution to irony, doesn't work. Like right. disinterested irony doesn't work. Yeah. What you need is an embodied. What it? What is it that Jesus does on the cross? That's ironic. He dies and rises from the dead. He goes to death expecting death, but comes out of it. Like we think he go- bra- he. What he does is he breaks irony. He doesn't embody irony; he breaks it. Mm. So he he goes like he he goes to the That's same good. ironic end as everyone that everyone else has built a life and ultimately dies. Jesus builds a life and it keeps on living through death. Like he mm. does not do the ironic. <laughs> like he, he finally us that breaks irony the cycle. Isn't all there is. That's right. There is mm. sense to the world, and there is a way to have permanency and to have substance and to escape the smoke. And it's through his death and resurrection to be joined with him is the only way to escape irony because it's the only way to attach yourself to something solid that mm. doesn't fall back in on itself. Yeah. So that's interesting. That is interesting. That's, that's good. Okay. Help me with this one. Okay. Verse nine, verse 19 of chapter 10. Is this the, is this, what is he getting at here? Did he lose his mind for this verse? A feast is made for laughter, wine makes life merry, and money is the answer for everything. <laughs> money is the answer for everything? He says something really similar a few chapters back. Let me see if I can find it. What are your oh, thoughts as I try I to I was just find so it? caught off guard by that verse last night when I was reading it. I was like, money's the answer to everything? I'm like, does he mean that... Um, kind of like he did with uh, with uh, envy. Envy is the root cause of all mm-hmm. toil. Is he saying that like you want to know why you know things are bad? It's because people want money. Money's the root of all evil. Is that what he's saying here? But it seems like these are all good things. Like the feast helps you laugh, and wine makes you merry. Enjoy those things. We're told constantly throughout Ecclesiastes to enjoy those things. And you know what? If you want to be wise, get some money. Because then he goes on in chapter 11 to talk about investing in a bunch of things. You know, don't make se- your portfolio. Yeah. <laughs> diver- don't just make seven investments. Make eight. Don't just sell your grain in your local market. Put it on a ship and sell it across the sea because you don't know which market's going to dry up. That's what cast so, your bread on the waters means, by the way, guys. Oh. Like, so cast your bread on the waters for you will find it after many days bread doesn't just mean literally bread but right. like goods livelihood trade markets so you throw your oh i'm reading throw, the and i i'm reading a different, a different oh, version so it doesn't have it doesn't bread. have it as a metaphor it trans, oh. it translates it oh, like it translates it. Yo, yeah. so yeah that's exactly what it means it's like cast your bread on the water means like send your goods out to sea and yes. then after many days it'll return and you'll receive your reward you'll receive you anyway right yes so 
Let's so it's just interesting. I'm like, so let me let me lay out my confusion fully okay. before you answer. So there's like, it just seems like he's like celebrating wealth mm-hmm. and money when he said that it's not good and it doesn't satisfy and grabbing it with both hands is not a good idea. It seems like this kind of person who diversifies their portfolio and doesn't just plant their seeds in the morning, but also plants their seeds at night is like grabbing toil with both hands again. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I'm just like, as we're ending the book, it just seems like he's collapsing back in on himself and saying like, go work hard. And yeah. Which, yeah. So anyway, what, what what's well, going on here? One things that are going through my mind. So this is what Jewish meditation literature does. This is like why I've been <laughs> so helped by it. Say, okay, let's play out the scenario. What if it's positive? Like what if he's just saying money's good and actually answers all our problems? Well, that creates a whole bunch of contradictions with what we've seen in Ecclesiastes beforehand. What else could be going on? Well, maybe it's entirely negative money answers everything is um, the root of all evil. Money's the root of all evil. Right. Maybe that's what he's saying. And it's like an antonym. Yep. Bread is made for laughter. Wide glads the heart. Money ruins everything. Maybe it means that. But that's not always the way he talks about money. He just seems to say like it also has positive effects. So what's he talking about? Here's what he says in Ecclesiastes 7.12. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. And so what he compares, he compares wisdom to money. And he says, the same way that money can insulate you or buffer you from life's hardships, wisdom does that too. Wisdom makes the curse a little bit more bearable. Wisdom secures a little bit more reward for you in the afterlife. Um, And the money does the same thing on earth. Money kind of makes hardships less hard. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of just truth. Like money makes hardships less hard. So I wonder if what he's saying here is bread is made for laughter, wine gladdens life, and mm-hmm. money makes things easier. Money is the answer for everything. It's, um, the, yeah. So it's kind of blunt, but it's also a pretty honest ass- assessment of how of life under the sun of life under the sun like <laughs> yeah money does not buy happiness but it does have an answer yes um or as jack donaghy in 30 rock says <laughs> money money can't buy happiness money is happiness. <laughs> 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 that's so great oh, the other thing i kept thinking of is what if we allow ecclesiastes to to chase an Ecclesiastes. And what if he yeah, means... that's what I was thinking. Money in one hand, not in yep. both hands, answers mm-hmm. everything. Yes. And this idea of putting your goods out to sale, diversifying your portfolio, making sure that your crops are in season with the weather, that's actually what you should do with your money in one hand. Yes. Like, it's wisely using your money, not obsessing over your money, Right. wisely using your money not like yeah. i did with my mortgage payments and all my overdrafts i talked about last week yes but just like this is a why i've i've been wise with my money i made a mistake i can absorb the overdraft fee diversify right. your portfolio right grab a whole be wise with your money make yeah. investments plant your seeds to say it another way like i think it would be easy to read ecclesiastes and come to the conclusion that holding rest in one hand and toil in another makes you kind of lazy-ish. Right. Like, it's like, not lazy completely, but like, you know, I'll work just hard enough to get by. And that is wisdom. That if I just go in and I punch the clock and I come back home and I rest and don't do anything, then like, I'm being wise. 
And I know a lot of people who live that way. Mm-hmm. And I think what he's saying is like, no, when I say grab toy with one hand, I mean, do it with wisdom. And it means working really hard. Um, right. It doesn't mean only ever working hard and never resting or enjoying the fruits of your labor. That would be hevel. I think but, maybe yeah. another way to say what you're saying is grabbing hold of work with one hand or money with one hand is working hard. Mm-hmm. Grabbing hold of money or work with two hands is working hard and putting all your hopes in work as well. Yes, like, that's true. It's like a heart this, condition. Like the second hand is placing your heart there. Mm-hmm. Your first, your one hand should be on hard work. The other hand should be on the rest that the Lord provides and yes. the confidence that he approves of your work, which is what he talks about back in chapter 10, and that he's made a time for your work and that mm. he will judge every good work. That's also a theme talked about throughout Ecclesiastes. Yep. God will judge every work that is done and give you its proper reward one day. Yes, which is like, I just think like a a way to think about the rhythm of work and rest that God has sown all throughout the Bible, that uh, for six days, God worked in making the world, mm. right? And I mean, he didn't just like haphazardly throw together the universe yeah. or the multiverse, you know, yeah. you know, just, <laughs> but like, the, the, uh, the, the tons of different universes is what I mean. Like, yeah, the, yeah. like universe upon universe upon universe, yeah. uh, and star upon star upon star and Adam upon Adam. And you know, uh, what, uh, and like, what do, what do you call it? The, the argument, uh, of the, the apologetic argument. for, for how far the earth is from the sun and oh, like uh, the, fine the fine tuning, tuning the, the fine tuning, tuning argument. argument. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, it's a fine tuned universe. He worked really perfectly and with wisdom and although god doesn't have to work hard to create in terms of effort he worked hard you know like that's kind of and then on the seventh day he rested and so i just think it's interesting Mm -hmm. that like that this is a really good rhythm is like work hard and work wisely and work Mm -hmm. well but don't but like the sabbath comes and it reminds you that your work is not the end in itself yeah like god's still in control even when you don't work god's still working even when you don't work, mm-hmm. God still approves of you. Even when you don't work, God yes. still will. And God is judging rightly about the work that you did, even while you're resting. Like, yeah. yeah. And so I, I think it's just cool to see that. And then now in the new covenant to know that G that like that in Jesus, we like he, first off, he did his work perfectly. He came to earth and worked perfectly. He worked with wisdom. He sowed his seed at the right time. He, you know, he, he just, he did his ministry perfectly, right. even unto <gasps> death. And, oh, I just, had, I just you're, had a thought. Continue, continue. Okay. Even unto death and, um, and rested in the grave and God affirmed his work by rising him from the dead. And now we can join in that work with him, you know, and that, and that we now can have a proper orientation towards work that we can work hard for the kingdom of God. And we can also rest in the kingdom of God that we can have Sabbath work every day of right. the week. So well, anyway, okay. What was, well, what was your exa- epiphany? Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's like when G- Jesus talks about how the Sabbath regulations were, undone the yes. regulations for work were undone by the pharisees and he's and he makes the point like well the priests are always working or god mm-hmm. is always working god so always i working. am always working right and even your priest work on the sabbath right and the idea is that when jesus comes a particular day is no longer the sabbath but every day is the sabbath but every day is also work 
So every day there's both work and rest simultaneously, which is exactly the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. Eden. And Eden. And Eden. Eden is work rest balance. Eden it's, is the like the perfect balance between work and rest, where our work is actually restful and our rest actually produces something. Which Eden was the and Adam Adam and Eve were uh, were are, are are referenced and described as priests in Eden. They they work mm. the same verbs used to work the land in Eden is the same verbs commanded to the priests to work the tabernacle. And so to work on the Sabbath in the tabernacle is Edenic activity. It's Fact. it's the way to be in Eden is to work on the Sabbath. And so so Jesus then comes and brings rest to our lives and allows us every single day to work like we are in the Garden of Eden because we can have restful work that doesn't terminate on itself but works for the kingdom but does it with this like the the peace of mind with that comes from Christ. With the one hand on oh my work gosh. and the one hand on rest. My gosh, that ends up being our favorite little lie from all of Ecclesiastes. Okay, so we are nearing the end of Ecclesiastes. We have two main sections left. We have the uh, words to the youth, the young people. And then we have the conclusion of the book. So let's talk about those, and then we'll be done with Ecclesiastes. So you have this section here um, in that starts in eleven nine, and it says, You who are young, be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the day of your youth. Because it talks about a day, it, once it gets to chapter 12, it talks about there will be a day when everything, like the, the worries of life end up overtaking you and everything becomes terrible. Yeah. And, you know, you know what do they say? But, but youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> yeah. That is yeah. really kind of gets pretty close to the heart of the sections in the youth. Like, enjoy your youth while you have it mm-hmm. because one day it won't be there. Right. He says in verse 8, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. And I actually think maybe the better... So vanity has like a, a range of meanings. And one of the... Like the most obvious one is breath. Like this mm-hmm. way it's used fairly frequently is yeah. breath. And that, that can just mean brief. So it's like like life is brief. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Youth and the dawn of life are brief. So if you want to honor the God that gave you this season, enjoy it. Rejoice in what the Lord has given you for this brief period of time. Mm. And then he says in 12.1, remember also the creator in the days of your youth. Do you want to say more about what it means to like uh, rejoice in our youth? No, I want to talk about remembering your creator because I think that's the point here is that life is brief, brief, it's breath, it's quick, um, soon you'll be old and nothing will matter. And you might be so calloused when you're older that your heart is hard and you can't turn to your creator. You know, like it's easier to raise up a child in the way they should go because then when they're old, they'll walk in it than it is to, you know, talk to someone who's lived for 70 years yeah. and has opinions and is hard-hearted and beaten up by life. It's just easier to have your heart bent mm-hmm. towards God from a young age. So and do so it before... Yeah, before before you're all been out of shape by the world, you know, like I just think there's a lot of wisdom here in um like pastoring youth and like you know, like Yeah. It's you, really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Uh this whole section is uh he kind of gives this picture of old age where it's kind of like a the old age is like a storm. 
yeah destroying a city it's like a, a sh- like, a, like a shuttered like like a ghost town it's like um a uh, a bowl being smashed or a bucket being destroyed at the bottom of a dry well yeah and it's just these really intense images of what old age must feel like so i just imagine like old solomon like or just an yeah. old king saying like this is how i see, feel old age taking over <laughs> and i was even reading one commentator like a this lot of people just, <laughs> i'm just laughing because it's like this is this is this is the wisest man on earth's way of saying his hip hurts <laughs> yeah it's, like, like, it's just it's beautiful. very poetic and beautiful, beautiful but really just going it's gonna rain it's my gonna rain feel it <laughs> i feel it in my bones before Sorry, the, go back to being serious about no, your no, commentators no, I mean, to your point before the sun and the light of the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain remember your creator in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because there are few and those who look through the window are dim and the doors on the street are shut remember your creator mm. when the sound of the grinding which i guess just meant just means like labor like i yep. think i think like jackhammers in new york city oh cop sure. cars like There's probably a stone mill yeah it's a stone mill. when the sound of the grinders is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird so two things one it's so quiet that you've been woken from your sleep by a bird like the tweeting of a bird by a tweeting of a bird but also one thing i know from all of my older relatives is they don't sleep well at night Yep. Like it's just like he's describing old age in really metaphorical and vivid language. And the way that the image I, I read one commentator who said the way that the imagery is stacked up on top of one another, it's not a consistent metaphor. Mm-hmm. Once one second he's talking about grinding, next second he's talking about birds, right. one second he's talking about a storm, next minute he's talking about bowls. And he says old age is pictured uh one uh without one line of thought being maintained throughout. Just in the same oh, yeah. way that, like, even your mind as you age, like, you, like, you, it's more difficult as your brain decays to string together thoughts. Yeah. And, um, or even, like, I'm sure you've had that experience with, like, an older person. They just keep telling the story and, like, adding details that you don't yes. need to, like, right. necessarily, necessarily move the narrative forward. But, like, that's part, I don't know why that's, I think what he's doing here is, like, the text itself is, like, an image of old age. Yes, like, anyway. that's very good. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think what's happening here then is he's trying to show because we've talked about how this is probably something like a parent talking to a child, talk you know, mm-hmm. like a father talking to a son, and the last thing he wants to leave his son with is this warning about um, youth is to remember your youth and make the most of it, and most of all turn your heart toward the creator right now before mm-hmm. it's too late before yeah. old age takes over and you're too depressed to turn to God <laughs> like, yeah. or too out of sorts or disconnected or run down or whatever. And so I just think it's a, it's, it's a little haunting, you know, it but is. like, I think, I, I think what he, I don't think what he's saying is, um, you know, make the most of your youth, like soak up life as much as you can while yeah. you're young. Because when you're old, speech, like, yeah, it's not a because when, yeah, speech. because when you're old, you won't be able to go to Spain and you know run with the bulls. You yeah. know, like so, do it when you're young. I don't think that's what he's saying. I, I think he's saying that old age will make you callous and will will rip sanity from your mind, and mm-hmm. you need to decide right now, son, before it's too late 
to remember your creator. Like, yeah, I just think that is, is really, and, and then he, and he says, and do it before you die, uh, before your spirit returns to the God who gave it, do it now. Um, remember him before you die. Uh, he's like, there should be one thing on your bucket list, my son. <laughs> and it's remember God. <laughs> Yeah. That's the one thing you need to do before you die, <laughs> which Remember he sounds Lord. like a crusade evangelist. If he you really die does. today, it's like, I feel like I've heard a version of this. Like when I was a, a kid, I feel like I heard a version of this talk by somebody not as qualified as Kohelet to speak about them. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? It actually, it's like, I've heard this talk say, like, Hey, you're going to get old one day. Yep. And, like you don't want to do a deathbed confession. You're going to get old one day. You're not going to be able to do Remember God now before your heart gets hard. I've heard a version mm. of that. But what makes this one so powerful is that is who's saying it. Mm. It's the man who tried everything. Yeah. That if you wow. had somebody if you had Tony Stark, like Tony Stark <laughs> is the best example of go, like a Kohala <laughs> like now. He's a genius, he's smart, successful, he has all the women, all the yeah. money, all the pleasure. The best goatee in the world. The best the only goatee that's allowed <laughs> in the world. <laughs> Like he's smart, he's funny, right? Like, but like, so like, the only reason, like, if Tony Stark came to the end of his life as Iron Man, yep, and he said, "Everything I've done is smoke." Yep, he said, "If I could leave you with one piece of advice, it would be Remember be a Christian." God. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Oh gosh, <laughs> wow, Re- thanks, Tony." <laughs> Tony, I was not expecting that turn, but I'm gonna much. I'm gonna consider that. I'm far, gonna take that very, very seriously. seriously. Yep. Remember that, that God while you're still young. It's uh yeah, it's it's very good. Um yeah, I also think it's interesting too, like why you know, and I think we don't need to think of it necessarily like just because it probably wasn't in Kohelet's mind as much as it is in ours. Uh he probably isn't thinking like you better turn to God before it's too late or you go to hell. Like, you know? Yep. I think he's remembering he's I've trying heard to say like too. <laughs> Yeah. But he, I think what he's saying here is um He's talking about how to live a life of profit that benefits you and that's good and wise. Mm-hmm. And he said the only way to do that is to turn to God and remember your creator. And so he's like, if you want to live a life that's not full of smoke and completely meaningless, remember your creator in your youth. Start living a life that actually has meaning now before yeah. everything you've done is meaningless. The only way to live a life of meaning is to live a life of that is remembering your creator. That is a life lived in the light of Yahweh. This like, I think jumps that's what to our conclusion, but he says the same yes. thing in verse 13. Well, hold on the before you say matter, he, but hold on, hold on. Heard. Oh, oh. Can, before you, before you say he says the same thing, this isn't Kohelet oh. at the end because we have a yes. third person reference to, to, he says, this is verse nine. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to people. So let's just remember, this is now an, the editor or the person who who gathered this this book from Kohelet mm-hmm. and gave it to his son. So you have this you have this book from from Kohelet written from a king to his prince, in a sense, yeah. right? Or or from a king to his people, from the Kahaler to the Kahald, right? Yes. And then uh, you have this this father coming along, gathering this father to son language and giving it to his son and saying, "Son, listen to this wisdom." Yes. So, okay. And he kind of sums up Kohelet by saying, the end of the matter, after all this has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of mankind. Mm-hmm. So it goes exactly back to what you were saying about how Kohelet ends his section. It's like, yes. remember your creator, be wise. Mm-hmm. Remember your creator, keep his commandments. And what does Jesus say? 
love God, yeah. love your neighbor. What the whole law, all of God's commandments can be summed up by loving God and loving your neighbor. And he says the exact same thing. Fear God, keep his commandments. Yep. That's the whole duty of man. Uh, I, I think it's also interesting that he says the whole duty of man, because I think it implies that keeping the commandments isn't just strict adherence to the 613 laws laid out mm-hmm. in the Torah. It's your whole life is spent embodying the character and nature and the fear of the Lord, mm. wherever it may, wherever you may end up landing. And he says, that is the good life. The good yeah. life is loving God and loving neighbor, fearing the Lord and keeping his commandments. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. I think um, I want to go back and talk about the other parts of this conclusion too. But while we're here, uh, I'll tie this up. I think what I love about this final command, here's the end of the matter. Here's the whole duty of man, which is like, great, finally. The we meaning of life? <laughs> yeah. Like, could, could we have just put this at the beginning of the book and saved yeah. myself the the tor- turmoil of it all? But um, but I think what's amazing about this is if, the, if Kohelet's experiment was this thing that was done under the sun, then there, and he mentions two things that cut through that division of not wanting to bring God to the equation or trying to just take um, a, like the pragmatic pulse of the world around him and figure out how things would work if you took God out of the equation, uh, that he just cuts through it. He says, fear God, which is obviously looking above the sun, mm-hmm. right? Like honoring him, revering him above mm-hmm. all else, not putting toil or work or wealth or women above everything else, but putting God above everything else. And then he says, and obey his commandments. The yeah. commandments of God are these um, or these bits of revelation, right? The commandments of God, if you even think about like when they came, the commandment, the word commandment especially is Exodus, like the 10 commandments. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, remember Mount Sinai when he who was above the sun came below and spoke to us when he actually told us the meaning of life. You want to know the meaning of life? God has told us what it is. Mm-hmm whenever he yeah. appeared to us and it's that he would be our God and we would be his people and that we would live in equity with one another and that we would do good and fear him and live in love with yeah. him and neighbor. Like it's just, it's an amazing bit of, of knowledge. It's like, we can't figure out how to live in this world under the sun, but we don't yeah. have to because he who is above the sun has given us the wisdom we need to live below it. And what I love too, just from a different perspective about this line is that we've spent 11 chapters it, like seeing Hevel, seeing a cursed world and these little glimpses of what life, like why, like why you need to look above the, the cursed world, why you need to fear God, why you need to keep his commandments. And he sums up all 11 chapters in one sentence. Mm-hmm. Fear God, keep his commandments. This yeah. is the whole duty of man. And then the next line is really important too, because God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So I think one of the things that, Kohelet brings up over and over again is injustice mm-hmm. uh, or justice gone wrong or evil people getting ahead and young people or good people dying young. Like right. there's this inequity everywhere. God, the reason why we can trust that fearing God and keeping his commandments is the wise way to live is because God will bring every deed into perfect judgment. Mm-hmm. He will judge good people rightly and evil people wrong rightly as well like yes. the cursed world the world of hevel never gets that judgment right but in god it will be judged right yes. evil will be punished and good people will be rewarded 
Yeah. Finally. Finally. Yeah. That's the good, that's the good news is that, um, is that in the cross, um, evil was punished. Sin was killed. Death was swallowed up. Like there was perfect punishment in the cross and we can live inside of that, that perfect punishment and that forgiveness now is extended to us knowing that perfect justice has been done on our behalf. But then we can also know that there will come a day when Jesus will return and execute perfect justice to everything that has gone unpunished. I I realized as we were talking about this in a previous episode, we never brought up Romans three into this and how like, you know, it just seems like bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people and people get away with evil things all the time. And it just seems like all these sins are going unpunished. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that is exactly what Paul says in Romans three. He says, because he left former sins unpunished until the time of the cross so that he could be just and justifier on the cross. And it's like, God knows a time for everything. And like, he knows when he will execute justice perfectly. And so, yes, he passes over a lot of sin in order to take that sin on himself in the cross. And yet he's doing it again now until the fullness of sin is racked up in the world. And there will be a day of reckoning when he comes and he writes the ship and he holds the world accountable. And it's good news for two reasons. It's good news because we can escape the judgment that we deserve in the death of Jesus. And it's good news that judgment is coming and that justice and peace yeah. will, will reign and like wrongs will be righted. So it's and just good, good news, news on both sides. Reason. Oh yes. It's not just because, uh, we escape the justice we deserve. It's not just good news because the wicked will be finally punished. It's also good news because our good works will actually be rewarded. Oh, like it's also yes, reward. Good, like, yes, reward. Like, not only are we given Christ's righteousness and good works, we are yeah. promised that the good works that we do, the treasure we store up in heaven, will one day actually be returned to us. Yeah, it's a not for nothing. Like, it's yeah. not hevel to right. do w- wise work in a world where it won't be rewarded because yeah. there is coming a day when you will be rewarded perfectly because of Jesus. That is so good. Yes. And th- I think that is the solution to the book. Yes. That, I think that's the, that is the good news. Of the book. Of that's the good news of the book of Ecclesiastes. Yep. That when you get stuck in a world of hevel, you have to know that eventually good works will be rewarded and wrongs will be righted. It's just such good news. And like all that happens so perfectly in Jesus. Um, uh, before we wrap up, which we need to do quickly, um, uh, I just think we should go back just a little bit. We went a little out of order, we did but it's fine. But I just we can't miss nine and eleven uh, of chapter twelve. Yeah. So I just love this. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote is upright and true. So like this is a good book. He's saying. This yeah. is right and it's true and like you might think he's being haphazard with some of his conclusions and some of his words, but he searched for the perfect word like whenever he wrote it in Ecclesiastes and like he knew exactly what he was writing and it was good. Um, then so I just, I love that. It, which I, I, I don't want to tell, say I, I told you so. However, this does seem to go against some of your earlier statements, David, where <laughs> you did not agree that all the wisdom found in ecclesiastes was good <laughs> oh i don't know if i ever said that Maybe, well, how, i think i said pre um what am i trying to say i think you had mentioned like because i said something along the lines of like i think this is 
the words of Kohelet would also be the words of Jesus. Like there'd oh, be messianic yes. wisdom. You know, right. I don't think that's... I, I still stand by that. You still I think, stand by that? Oh, absolutely. Because I think he can choose the right words to... He's bringing us wisdom, and he's speaking... You, you can, I, I can, I can help you understand something by painting two extremes to help you get to a middle, mm-hmm. but I can, but you know, like I can say an extreme on one side and an extreme on the other to get you to the truth in the middle. Right, 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 and right, so right. I, I think that he is crafting yes. a narrative and crafting yes. a worldview in order to bring it crashing down in a sense. I think you're right. And so, um, there are things that Kohelet would say that I just don't see fit wholesale on the on the lips of jesus but i don't that doesn't mean they're not upright and true right and i think the and i think the overall combined wisdom of of ecclesiastes is messianic and jesus would say um but yeah anyway which is helpful I, yeah, because I, like i love yes. what you said that like he gives you one the left side and the right side of the worldview yes to bring it crashing mm-hmm. down because exactly what verse 11 says the words of the wise are like oh roads. Right. And like nails firmly fixed. So a goad would be like a sharp stick you would hit an animal, you would poke an animal with to keep it going straight. Like mm-hmm. down the middle path, down the middle of the right. road. And he's like, the words of the wise are going to protect, are like goads protecting you from the ditch on either side. And they are given by a shepherd the, yeah. or one shepherd. Or one shepherd, yeah. And so here's the question. Who is the yes. shepherd? Who is I mean, the shepherd? Yeah, the the I mean, constantly throughout the Old Testament, God Himself is referred to as the Shepherd of Israel, the Shepherd mm-hmm. of His people, and then Jesus takes that title on Himself, which is one of the ways that He calls Himself divine. Yeah, and so here it's just the Shepherd of Israel could also be the King, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, this is there's one King or a Shepherd, and He's talking about that there are many different proverbs that, and there's a, there's collected sayings, the collected mm-hmm. sayings of the wise, probably referring to both the book that we're t- we're in right now, the, the writings of Kohelet and mm-hmm. Ecclesiastes, but also its companion proverbs yeah. that we've constantly said are at war with each other. Yeah, he yeah, said yeah, yeah. they are the left and the right goad. That sometimes mm-hmm. you're you're walking down the middle path and you're straying a little bit to the left, and Kohelet comes and pokes you and gets you back to the center. But mm-hmm. then if you start going too far to the right, Proverbs comes around and pokes you on the other side. Yeah. And so you need both in order to not pendulum swing to one side or the other. You need Proverbs on one side and Ecclesiastes on the other to give you a full picture of how the world works to keep you going down the center path. Yes. Yeah. And that's right. And, and, I, think, and I think and I think what's amazing is and the reason why they can operate like that, though they seem so different, is because they share one common author, who is God, inspiring wise people through the Holy Spirit in order to shepherd his people. Mm-hmm. Like, So there is a little bit of like a proof text for divine authorship of Scripture here. But, there is. It's like, yeah. the, it's, it seems as if Solomon knows that like Ecclesiastes and Proverbs isn't just being written by him. Like mm-hmm. that there's a divine agent at work as well, which yeah. is... Super and I cool. think I, I think it's also a helpful way to think about another way to think proof text for a Christ-centered reading of Scripture. Like Jesus, mm-hmm. like says he's the one shepherd. Yeah, and we're told right here that the one shepherd is the inspirer behind the Book of Ecclesiastes and the Book of Proverbs. Yeah, and Jesus tells us very explicitly that he is the gate and the narrow way. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like that he is the one who will keep us and hold us on that path. So I could easily see Jesus speaking Ecclesiastes to the people that need it, yeah. and the book of Proverbs to the people that need it, and like poking us either way, leading us to um, 
yeah. maybe us to himself, leading us yeah. to the Lord. And in that way, you're absolutely right that the words of Ecclesiastes are the words of Jesus because he is the shepherd who wrote this book. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's so good. Well, Seth. That's it. Ecclesiastes. It's done. That was that was a hard book. It I think it's book. been the hardest book we've studied yeah. and tried to talk about. I think so too. Which is probably appropriate. It's only about the meaning of life. Yeah. <laughs> the and whole there, duty of man. How there, how there isn't one until the end. <laughs> until the end. <laughs> oh, man. Well, okay. Um, any last general observations about Ecclesiastes that you could sum up in a sentence or two oh, that, no. other than that was hard? No, not really. That was yeah. hard. And I also really enjoyed it. I had a I good time. Yep. Um, and I, here's what I'll say. Okay. I don't think I was wise enough to study the book of Theodore of Ecclesiastes at this point in my life. <laughs> nope. I think, I, I think I'm right there with you that I feel like maybe like 10 years from now, we should try it again. We and should. Then we'll be like 10 years. At, I think we'll be ready 10 years from now. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, no, it's true. But, uh, you know, I think, I think that's also part of it is like there, there is some, some smoke here we're trying to grab and it's slipping through our fingers. But in doing that, we're kind of showing the point of Ecclesiastes. So insofar as we missed it, hopefully that also is the point of Ecclesiastes too. <laughs> yes. But uh, it's good. Uh, it makes me long for Jesus. Ecclesiastes really makes me long for Jesus because yeah. it, it makes me really realize how fleeting, short, unsatisfying the the way of the world is. And it makes me want Jesus. But it also makes me like really enjoy game nights with my wife like last night where I was like, we were just having fun and playing categories, and I was like, "Hey, I'm obeying Kohelet. Oh, yeah, oh, enjoying the wife of your youth. I, yeah. I am. I was enjoying yeah. the wife of my youth. So I was just like, "That's nice. Is like That's nice. I, I can do. I can be doing the right thing here by resting and playing with my wife. So anyway, and I don't think. Here's the other thing I'll say about Ecclesiastes. I don't think I would have gained much from Ecclesiastes from trying to read it in three days. Oh, yeah. If I was just like, oh, it's 12 chapters, I'll read three or four chapters a day. I don't think I would have gained as much as I should having done that. Like Ecclesiastes invites us to to sit, to meditate, to think hard thoughts, to act like a philosopher, like a philosophy professor for a season of time and really dig deep because these are deep questions and... I mean, even the example with us, we just like that phrase, like grabbing one handful of quietness and one handful of toil. Mm -hmm. Like how many, we did like two or, we talked about that over the course of two or three podcast episodes, two or three hours before we were like, oh, oh, it's kind of like Eden and the priests in the tabernacle. That's really good news. It's how I, it's how I should live every day. And oh my gosh. Yeah. So yes, I think so. Meditate on this book. Um, It is good news. Kohelet and Ecclesiastes have good news for you and good news for us. So Hopefully we'll continue to meditate on it and continue to be informed in the days of our youth. So yes. anyway, well, thanks for being on this ride with us, guys. We, uh, we love you. We appreciate you listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit that gives all its resources like this podcast away for free because of supporters like you. To help Spoken Gospel in our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture and view all our free resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.